What does God say about you in love? He says, My child, I know that you might feel broken right now. I know that you might feel like things aren't going to turn around, that things can never get better. Child, I want you to let go of that and I want you to hold on to me. Because my son was broken for you. I wanted him to be broken for you. Because I love you and I want you to be unbroken. about to hear is from Pastor Paul Borman at Hope Lutheran Church, located in Tigard, Oregon. For more information and for more content, go to hopeintigard.com. Our text for this morning is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 through chapter 5, verse 2. We'll hear the Apostle Paul say, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is God's word. I've got a pastoral question for you this morning. What words should we use? As a pastor, words are the thing that I love to use. It's the only tool that I use. Words are to pastors what coding is to programmers. And words are to pastors what the law is to police officers. And words are to pastor what medicine is to doctors. They're, what I, they're my craft, I, They're what I use to communicate, to speak a sermon, to to speak in a Bible class. They're what I use to bring comfort. They're what I use to bring truth. They're what I use to bring counsel. They're a pastor thing. But they're not just a pastor thing. Everyone uses words and everyone's words have power. We all know that words have power. We know that words can be the thing that lifts you up higher than you've ever been before. And words can also be the thing that leave you weeping in the dark. Words can make your day in a second and words can ruin your month in a moment. Words can can bring nations together and words can tear a nation apart. Words are important. And the world has recognized that is true. 
And it's good that the world has recognized that it is true that words have power. I mean, just think about the history of weapons in the world. From the prehistoric clubs to swords and shields to bows and arrows to guns to atomic bombs. The same has happened in our words. We've gone from face-to-face conversations. We've gone to letters, gone to the written word, we've gone to the printing press, and now we have the virtual atomic bomb. With the click of a button, any one person can be heard by millions of people at a time. We have the power to unleash an atomic bomb of words. So again, this pastoral question, our words being so powerful, what words should we use? Paul has three principles for us as we seek to understand what words that we should speak into God's world and for his purposes. The first principle is this, our words should be true in every sense of the word. Paul tells us that we should put off all falsehood. We shouldn't lie. We should tell the truth. And why? Paul tells us it's because we are all members of one body. Why shouldn't we lie? Because we're all members of one body. It's because lies ruin unity. Lies ruin trust, and a lack of trust ruins relationships. I'll give you one example of that. Take the basic fundamental human relationship of marriage. Pastors see the things that go on in marriages all the time. Pastors have seen marriages that have been haunted by the greatest traumas that you can see. And you've seen by the grace of God, by forgiveness and redemption, marriages make it through that. But you know what has been shown to be the greatest fatal blow that a marriage can receive? It's lies. Lies are what's fatal to a marriage. Lies are what is fatal to so many relationships. When there is a lie, then trust wavers. When trust wavers, there can be no great relationship. That's the truth about lies. Lies ruin the body of Christ. And so Paul says, speak true words. Easy, right? Especially in the context of church. And the world's gotten better at telling the truth, too. Especially here in Portland, it's become one of our things. We love to tell the truth to people. We love to lob truth bombs at people. But we know that even when all the facts are correct, we can still be incorrect in sharing those true facts. We know that we can be utterly correct in everything that we, can, that we say, but still be wrong in speaking it. We're living through a crisis of truth right now. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Nobody knows what's true anymore, so I want to talk about what's true today and what is true to speak 
I want, to make, I want you to make a list in your head of all of the sources of truth that you trust. All of the sources that bring you truth that you can rely on. All of the sources that are in themselves irrevocably true, where they have never brought a false nuance, that truth that they bring will never be proved false in all time. I've only got one in my head. It's the Bible. The Bible is the only source of truth in human history where God has put his stamp on it and said, this is truth. And so where does that leave us with every other true thing? I've got three encouragements to you as you seek to find truth and to speak truly. The first encouragement is this. In your Seeking to speak truly, come at it with all humility. Like we said, the Bible is the only thing where we know 100% that that is truth. Everything else, we cannot say it's 100% and absolutely true. We cannot say it. Think about every issue that's close to your heart right now, every issue that is close to the heart of the world right now. I can guarantee you that in that issue, new information is constantly coming to life. And new nuances are, are, are constantly coming into the picture. What was 100% true yesterday is not 100% true today. We cannot know if something is 100% true because we are not omniscient, and that's okay. We're not called to be omniscient. God is omniscient. So be humble about the truth that you know. Here's your second encouragement. When you seek to speak Truly, and as you seek to find truth in this world, put it through the lens of the Eighth Commandment. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. As you speak truly, as you seek truth, think about it this way. Am I putting someone else down as I speak this truth? And think about this. Am I looking down on somebody by speaking this truth? Am I making someone else feel less so that I can feel like more by speaking this truth? Paul asks us to do that, to put away slander. Here's your third encouragement as you seek to speak truth. This is the most important one, obviously. Put every truth claim up against the Bible. Because we know that there are so many claims of truth in the world. Put them all up against the Bible. If they do not match up with what the Bible says, you know what to do with them. Here's the bottom line about truth and about speaking truly. We as Christians are are not natural-born liars. We're not. We're Christians. As Christians, we are spirit-born truth-tellers. 
I want you to see how cool that is. We are spirit-born truth-tellers who have the truth of the gospel. And we are those who have the truth of full and free forgiveness in Jesus Christ. We are those who have been filled with the Spirit and the Spirit has set us free in Jesus. Why would we ever want to twist that truth? As the first principle, speak truly in every sense of the word. Second principle today. Do not let anger flavor your words. People say today that it's okay for people to be angry. People say that. And we've seen that. We've seen that quite a lot. That it's okay to be angry if you have a righteous reason to be angry. And if you have a righteous reason to be angry in your anger, you may do and say what is required. Is that right? Is that true? In a vacuum and in a hypothetical space, yes, that's true. It is not a sin to be angry. God was angry. Jesus was angry. It's not a sin to be angry. But we don't live in a hypothetical world. We don't live in a vacuum and we're not God. God is able to be angry and not say something he doesn't mean. And God is able to be angry and not blow things out of proportion. We're not able to do that. Think about all the times where you have gone through in your head all the things that you wish would be justifiable to say and to do because you're angry. Think about that classic example that every single one of us, I'm guessing, is guilty of while you're driving home from work or from, uh, or, or from church or from school, wherever it might be, and you've got that speech running through your head of the things that you wish you had said to that person that made you angry. Paul says, don't do that. Paul says, if you do that, if you allow anger to flavor the things that you say to other people, you know what's going to happen? The devil's going to get a toehold in your heart. And when the devil gets a toehold in your heart, you know what that toehold quickly becomes? A chokehold. Do you know where that anger comes from, that kind of anger that simmers in you and lets all that sulfuric, taunting speech come out of you? It comes from pride. Pride makes you say those things. Pride makes you angry because you can only be angry at someone that you feel morally superior to. You cannot be angry at someone that you don't feel morally superior to. That's just how anger works. And man, I know this. I understand it. I need to be forgiven for it. We see this, that we live in a world of angry people. And this is a time when people are especially on edge. And if you tip them the wrong way, they're going to be angry at you. And when you're a pastor in an age when people are just angry, 
And when you're a pastor who people get angry at for sharing peace, do you know what happens? You start to get angry. You start to feel morally superior. And man, is that messed up. You start to feel morally superior to the people that feel morally superior to you. That's how you know that you need forgiveness. That's when you know that you are the worst of all sinners. That's when you know that you need to be humbled and forgiven. And Jesus is good at that. There are two things that are connected in this text. There's this anger that we are not allowed to live with, and there is this truth that we are dearly loved children of God. That's what Paul calls us. He says we are dearly loved children of God. And do you know how dearly loved as a child of God you are? You are so loved that Jesus gave himself as a fragrant offering for your sins. Paul uses this image for a reason. Science has shown us that it is the sense of smell that most quickly connects us to our emotions of the past. What do you think that fragrant burnt offering smells like? I can tell you what, it does not smell like the lavender that grows in the fields underneath Mount Hood. It does not smell like Old Spice. It does not smell like Coco Chanel. Do you know what a burnt offering requires? It requires a dead body and it requires fire. Do you know what that smells like? It smells like forgiveness. It smells like the price that needed to be paid for redemption. It smells like justice being paid in Jesus' body. It smells like forgiveness earned through the cross. It doesn't smell like lavender. It smells like just how much that you have been loved. And when you catch a whiff of that, you cannot be proud. And when you cannot be proud, you cannot be angry. And instead, what happens is you become filled with humility as you look and you see that everyone else that you were feeling morally superior to is just as forgiven as you. So don't let anger flavor your words. Here's a third principle that we've got for our words today. The first two principles talked about the words that we should not use. This last principle talks about the words that we should use. Paul says, he begins it like this. He says, don't let any worthless words come out of your mouth. Instead, let the words that come out of your mouth be beneficial. Let them be productive. Don't let worthless things come out of your mouth. They're not helpful to anyone. But let everything that comes out of your mouth be purposed. Purposed for the strengthening of someone's faith. Purposed for the building up 
of Jesus' children. Purposed so that someone can achieve the goals that God has set for them. If you want to know what that looked like, just look at Jesus. Jesus never vented. He never just had to go out there and tell people how he felt about a situation. He didn't do that. Every word, every word that Jesus spoke was for someone's spiritual benefit. I've spoken a lot this morning about the words that we should use. Now I want to take a moment to talk about the words that God uses about you. We've studied three principles of words that we should use. First is that principle is that the words that we speak should be true. What does God say is true about you? God says that you are loved. God says that you are redeemed. God says that you are forgiven. God says, and this is true, God says that he cares so deeply about you that he cares about every single hair on your head. We talked about the principle of not letting anger flavor our words, but letting every word that comes out of our mouth be flavored with love. What does God say about you in love? He says, My child, I know that you might feel broken right now. I know that you might feel like things aren't going to turn around, that things can never get better. Child, I want you to let go of that and I want you to hold on to me. Because my son was broken for you. I wanted him to be broken for you. Because I love you and I want you to be unbroken. We talked about that principle that every word out of our mouths should be beneficial towards the growth of someone's faith. What does God say about us to to grow us? You know, God looks out at you right now and he knows you. He knows that this last year and these last years may have been the hardest of your lives. Do you know why these last years have been the hardest of your life? Me neither. But I do know what God is saying up in heaven. He's saying, people of hope, just you Wait. Just you wait to see what I've got in store for you. I'm out of words now. And as we wrap up, I I just want to close with one question. What words will you say next? After the service today, what words will you speak? You've got some time to think about that. What will they be? You are people of God. 
loved by him, forgiven in Christ, filled by the Holy Spirit, made and created to speak a good word into God's kingdom. So what words will he speak? A compliment? A prayer? A correction? A word of peace? A word of hope? A love? A care? A little word to show someone Jesus? Jesus?